Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God, faith, contemporary religion, and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Marty, and I'm the minister to the Grace Adventist Centre and Sterling Seventh-day Adventist Churches right here in Adelaide, and I'm joined by Pastor Gary. Gary, I wanted to follow up with you because uh, last week you were speaking very passionately about your frustration with daylight saving. Now that it's <laughs> over, how are you feeling? Uh, look, I tell you, isn't it absolutely marvellous? It I mean, is great. <laughs> I mean, this morning, I mean, Adelaide's such a such a lovely time, um, a place this uh, this time of the year. And uh, uh, I was uh, uh, doing my, my walk this morning, but normally between six and six and seven, and to be actually walking into the light into the uh, sunlight uh, instead of by street light uh, is an incredible uh, blessing. You know, That's I, a good feeling. You know, I said it before, you know, I, I think that my, our mates up there in, in Queensland, uh, they have got us all over us. Who would have daylight? <laughs> so they call it daylight saving. I actually call it daylight robbery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, to be, to be waiting until 20 past seven before the light is starting to shine. It was funny this morning, our daughter came into our room as she does. It was very early yeah, in the yeah, morning, yeah, yeah, yeah. and she said, "Oh, mummy, um, it's uh, the the light is shining outside, so I think it's time to get up." <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like a, a like getting an elbow under the ribs to me to say, "Hey, Dad, come on, time to get out of bed." Um, but uh, yeah, I, we're enjoying it. it. Feels like the days. It feels like we've got more time in the day. To get things done, not rushing as much, which is oh, I a find real, it, I, I find I have blessing. a far more relaxed day because uh, I, I I am a morning person and uh, it's one of those things that uh, to actually uh, have your light in the beginning of the day mm-hmm. certainly is something that it's an incredible blessing to me because mm-hmm. I've certainly you know able to get up able to spend some time in 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 prayer and my devotional time Absolutely. then I'm able to go and uh, go and do a uh, do a walk and uh, come back have some. That is a good start to the day, Pastor Gary. Oh, look, look, to, to me, it's, uh, for, for quite some time, it's been an absolute, uh, an absolute blessing because, uh, uh, yeah, okay, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit like my, like my father. I'm normally up by about a past four or, or thereabouts, but I go to bed at early you know, to bed, early, early to rise, rise, makes you happy, healthy, wealthy, and wise. Wealthy and wise has done everything for me except wealthy. Oh, except well, that's wealthy. okay. That's okay. Uh, you know, you, You've got treasure in heaven. So um, this week, Gary, we're following the theme, The Cross is Not Enough. It's quite mm. a quite a, a challenging title there. Gary, what's the specific subject you're going to be talking on a bit later? Yeah, look, by, by, by this particular title, The Cross is Not Enough, what we want to be talking about is actually an Easter theme, that the cross without the resurrection uh, is actually of no value. Mm. Uh, but we mm. want to look at one of the real foundations of what is the... Uh, of Christian belief, and that's that issue of... Well, today we're going to be talking about Jesus. Did he really exist? Uh, you know, I'm just so conscious that, uh, you know, there are so many foundational questions that uh, sometimes people people do, do ask, Jesus, did he really exist? The resurrection, does it matter if Jesus was raised from the dead? We're going to be dealing with that particular subject from secular historian point of view tomorrow. And then on Thursday, we're actually going to be answering the question from the scriptures, you know, does it matter? Yeah, it doesn't matter. That's that's right, you know, because the reality of Christ 
If 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 Jesus is really who he claimed to be, then that changes everything, doesn't it? Oh, it does. You know? It changes everything. And if, in fact, he didn't exist, if this is the greatest myth uh, that's ever been uh, pushed on humanity, then, as Paul says, we of all men are most foolish and we need yeah. to pack up and simply go home and stop saying uh, what it is we've been saying. This is the core issue. This is the core issue. This is the core issue. I mean, you're, like you're saying, there would be no such thing as Christianity, no such thing as churches, the Bible. I mean, I can't even fathom that. Because, you know, that is the center of my life is centered around these things. But, but this is great, Gary, because I think these are genuine questions that people have, or if they don't have them, somebody else they talk to is going to have them. And so I'm glad that. And certainly uh, here at Easter time, you know, I mean, to me, I'm really conscious that as, uh, you know, there, this is one of the times of the year when I'm conscious that community members, maybe a next door neighbor, uh, will consider going to church if they are invited. And, Absolutely. Uh, you know, to me, I, I look at it and I say, hey, well, why not invite them? And, of course, a religious uh, conversation, you know, sometimes, you know, maybe a university student who might live at your house, you know, they'll come up with something uh, like, uh, uh, Jesus, you know, did he really exist? You know, I've heard at uni that he, that he didn't, you know, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, we need to be able to respond to that particular question. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, before we dive into that, we're going to come back to that a bit later. Did Jesus really Exist. For our World Watch segment, I've chosen a an article released by the Barna Institute, and it's called Doubt and Faith, Top Reasons People Question Christianity. Now, before we actually read the article, Gary, I just want to I just want to sort of put it out there to you. What would you say would be the top reasons that people question Christianity or doubt the Christian faith? Yeah, look, it's actually a really, a really good, uh, uh, it's a really good, uh, good question. And I, I suppose I come, uh, from a little bit of background. I, I, recently I did actually read some research from the, uh, McCrindle organization, which of course is based here in, uh, here in Australia. And they actually came up with a list of uh, five or six things which, uh, they suggested are the reasons why reasonable people may well, uh, not want to take a, um, a take a decision for Jesus Christ, and uh, uh, some of them, uh, f- for example, they mentioned the issue of the uh, the problem of pain and suffering. You know, if there is a good God, why is yeah. it yeah. that we uh, we don't? Uh, you know, why doesn't God act on on those things? And if course, He's all powerful, why doesn't He stop it? And if He's all loving, why doesn't He seem to care? It, it's a huge problem yeah. to yeah. so many people who are who have actually thought through their faith. Now, of course, there are. Actually, answers to, uh, to 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 all of these uh, these issues, uh, but that one is probably the big one. Uh, another one is the whole uh, is the whole issue of um, uh, uh, science and uh, um, and the uh, uh, biblical worldview. Are they compatible? Because mm, there's huge mm. pressure being put on people to say, "Hey, look, you know, this is something that uh, you know really we're, we're talking foolishness." I mean, we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about Jesus, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to start by just sharing some of the some of the things Jesus did and some of the claims Jesus made, and you've got to turn around and say, "Hey, look, you know, are this." I mean, the, to the common person, these things appear out there. Mm. Yeah, they do. That's right. That's right. You know, and as you're talking, it's interesting that it seems to be quite a parallel between the McCrindle research 
and what Barner has also discovered oh, yeah, as well. Yeah, look, just just looking at this research here, I mean, I I appreciate what you've said because uh, uh, you know what uh, Barner has certainly um, uh, provided in his research is actually uh, the identical reasons. McCrindle actually adds a few to it, yeah. uh, but uh, uh, these ones are certainly covered in the uh, McCrindle uh, organisation research as well. So what Barner says here, and, and, and from his research, is actually I found this. Quite quite interesting the top reason the top reason that people will doubt christianity and this is particularly people who don't have a faith is actually hypocrisy of religious people now if somebody came to you gary and said look um there's just too much hypocrisy in the church there's too much um two-facedness there's saying this thing doing another and so I just don't want to have, I, I'm just not interested. If somebody said that to you, how would you respond to that? Well, look, look, in reality, I mean, I think we have to acknowledge that there has been a great deal of two-facedness, as you correctly put it, uh, certainly within the church. I mean, uh, one of one of those... So you'd issues, actually acknowledge that it does exist? Oh, without a doubt. I, I mean, you look at the, you know, the issue of child abuse. You know, I mean, have churches been guilty of the, the issue of child abuse? Yes, they certainly have. Church, not churches so much as, obviously, people who are representing churches, yeah, uh, yeah. because they're the people who actually do mm-hmm. the uh, do the abuse but uh, is that uh, is that very real yes it is very real does that uh, frighten people away from churches yes it does as it does with any other org- whether it be a sporting organization whether you know any other organization you get exactly the same response people have a negative response to that particular organization absolutely you know it, it's it's Satan's mastermind, uh, you know, work to misrepresent the character of Christ through Christians themselves. That's it. That's and it. And because, you know, if, if people who are claiming to be representatives of Christ are then misrepresenting him and doing the complete opposite of, of what Jesus actually stood for, yeah. then is it any wonder that people say, if that's if that's what Christianity is about, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, though, what you've actually picked up there is one of the behavioral issues that push people away from Christianity. There are probably two different categories. Uh, there are the intellectual uh, type of issues that push people yes. away, uh, things like, you know, this problem of suffering, the problem of pain, you know, why doesn't a good God fix the yeah. the problem of uh, of pain? Uh, you've got the issue of uh, of science and uh, and creation. You've got all of that, you know, that. But these have to do with the head, whereas something like uh, hypocrisy in church members actually falls into a second category, where it's actually the uh, behaviour of uh, of church um, church representatives. Look, Gary, yeah, Gary, I agree. I've met a a lot of people who have stopped going to church and when you ask them and, and dig a little bit deeper it's, it's not long before you discover that it's not because of a doctrinal issue usually it's usually because of some interpersonal conflict that they had in a church or some issue that they saw happening in a church and that just put a bad taste in their mouth and they walked away their, their, their relationship with church or, or, or faith 
was actually causing them a lot of stress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and look, that's the thing that I believe we need to acknowledge. But I mean, myself, I mean, I've certainly challenged a few people and I've said, hey, look, you know, uh, yes, I acknowledge that at that particular church you certainly had a, you know, a, a bad experience. Have you, uh, you know, have you considered, you know, trying, you know, another, yeah. uh, you know, another church, you know? Um, and, and that's one of the things. And I know in country areas, sometimes that can be incredibly hard, but certainly in city areas, you know, I've tended to encourage people because, look, the reality is, is that not everyone gets on with everybody else. Sometimes it's not a blatant hypocrisy issue. It's simply that personalities are clashing. Definitely. And and to me, that's something that, uh, you know, um, I, I wish we all got together perfectly got on together sure, perfectly sure. but the reality it's not the case yeah sure you know um, the burden on Jesus heart I was reading this uh, a little while back just before Jesus goes back to heaven his burden the biggest burden on his heart is that his disciples would love one another you read this in John through from about the end of John 13 right through to basically the end of John 17 and the theme of loving one another just comes up over and over and over again mm. what, what something that something that I like to share with someone who's who's struggling with this I often would say there may be a Judas in the church but mm. Jesus is there as well and where you focus is is of vital importance. If you focus on the Judases, so to speak, in the church, the people who are misrepresenting Christ, mm. then that's going to dampen your experience. That's going to put a bad taste in your mouth. It's going to turn you away ultimately from Jesus. Mm. And but if you focus on Christ, and you don't let the negativity drag you down, and, um, and look, you know, Marty, even yes, um, focus on the uh, on Christ is so important. But you know, I'm also conscious that you know to look at uh, people who are representing Christ in your church. Yeah, because that's you, right. You genuine know, Christians. Genuine Christians. You know, because they're the going to be there too. The thing I'm so conscious of is that every church, yes, there might be someone there who uh, you might view as a as a hypocrite, but you know, I every single church that I've ever been uh, been to has had uh, people there that I look at and I praise the Lord yeah, for because absolutely. they are just they represent what I believe Christianity really is all about. And often it might be, you know, a, you know, a gray haired, uh, old lady, uh, who, and I'm not trying to denigrate old ladies here, but you know, to me, there are so many people, uh, that, uh, that do show exactly the opposite. And I praise God for yeah, those people because they're right. in my church. That's right. They're yeah. My- mine too, Gary. And, uh, you know, and you're spot on there. You know, when, when you experience that kind of, uh, that demonstration of God's love in someone's life, it really does attract you. And, and I think that's the, that, that is really the key. Who are we focusing on? Where, where's our focus? Um, when we when we come to to church and places like this, you know, and and, and look, Marty, what you're saying there is so important. You know, the focus is key. But you know, one of the passages of scripture that I really appreciate is First uh, Peter uh, three verse uh, verse fifteen. And of course, uh, Peter is so so clear here. What he says is, "Sanctify the Lord God in your heart." Sanctify means to set aside, set aside the Lord God in your heart. Always be ready to give a defence 
to everyone who asks a reason for the hope that is in you, but do it with meekness and fear. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. You know, I love that. The attitude that we have is is just so critical, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, it wasn't that long ago that I was reading Mahatma Gandhi, and I'm pretty sure, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, he said something along the lines of, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. because he says because he looks at the life of Christ and he says, look, the life of Christ was others centered. Yeah. Jesus lived a life of service and of giving of his own life, but so often we can fall into the trap of just just putting ourselves first and and we don't represent Jesus. But I think I think you're right. You know, when we when we give our life to Christ and we start to reflect more of his of his love, then many more people will actually be attracted. They'll, they'll think, you know what, there's something special here. And, you know, I'm just so thankful for the people that, you know, at my church, I, I know I'm just really thankful. I've got, uh, you know, uh, a number of people who uh, look out for others, uh, other people. You know, mm-hmm. I'm often, mm-hmm. you know, in ministry, I'm running around often involved in the programming of the church, in preaching sermons, in making sure that, you know, things are functioning smoothly. Uh, but, you know, there are some uh, other of my, my church members particularly who have this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful ability uh, to be able to make people feel comfortable, make them feel at home, uh, and to uh, and to touch base with them uh, as soon as they come into you know, into our church, and you know, to me, I praise God for those for those individuals because to me, uh, it 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 transforms lives. I think that's what we're all kind of looking for in a way, Gary. Yeah. We're looking for a place where we can feel loved, where we can feel accepted, we can feel like we belong. Yeah. And it sounds like Brighton Church has got that. I can certainly testify and say Grace Adventist Centre and Sterling Churches have got that. And I think there are many other churches in Adelaide here that yeah. have that beautiful experience where, you know, people can step in there um, and, and they can really experience and it, It's interesting, Marty. It often happens at smaller churches rather than bigger churches. Mm. Do you know, one of the things that I'm, you know, I'm really conscious of, you know, we've lived through an era where, you know, of the the big mega church syndrome where people uh, come together and there are thousands of people here. Uh, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm, it's so easy for a bigger church to be positive, to be good in the, in the uh, uh, programming Aspects, but it's very easy for people to be lost in mm-hmm. that uh, in that programming uh, type mode. Uh, whereas in a small church, uh, I believe it's mm-hmm. an incredible mm-hmm. blessing because uh, people uh, can actually become part of a community. Yeah, beautiful. I love what you're describing there, Gary. And um, it is truly a blessing to be a part of churches that that are living and experiencing that. Hey, we're going to come to some music, but just before we do, I actually want to share that we've got a giveaway book for our listeners today. The book is called Saviour. Four Gospels, One Story by Jack Blanco. This is a beautiful book. As I've read about the description, I haven't read the book itself, but as I've read the description of the book, it sounds like a beautiful book. If you're ever, if you've been someone who's tried to maybe read the Bible and you've found it that it's, 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 it's a difficult book to read. It, it doesn't flow necessarily. The stories are just very, you know, factual, etc. 
Um, maybe you're new to reading the Bible and, and it's a challenge, or or maybe you just need a fresh look at Jesus and you need to see Jesus with new eyes. This is going to be a book that's going to help you to encounter Jesus as your personal Savior, to see Jesus in a whole fresh new way, in a beautiful way. And this is a quite a this is a bigger book. It's a worth a bit more, Pastor Gary. Oh, this it is, one, it is. Yeah. This is a this is a quality resource. Savior, four Gospels, one story, the story of Jesus, the greatest story ever told, Jack Blanco. Now, if you'd like to receive a free copy of this book, text us at 04888880811, and the code you're going to send us is SA112. Again, the number is 04888880811, and the code is SA112. One one two to receive your free copy of Savior Four Gospels One Story. It's certainly a book that uh, if I wasn't uh, presenting here on Faith FM, Gary, I'd probably want to type in. I'd probably want to text in for it because oh, I, yeah. I'd, I'd love to. One, I'd love to read book, it. There's one book I'd love to have in uh, in my library because it does combine the stories from the four Gospels in a chronological order. So you can sit down and you're not reading one author, the second, then another, and then a, you know a fourth one. And you're actually reading them. Uh, just as you normally would yeah. any any one book, and uh, to me, I think that's a, that's a beautiful picture. If I if I wasn't presenting in here, this is one book that I'd be uh, certainly sending. Well, Gary, we're getting some texts coming through, so that's great. And once again, if you want this free book, Savior Four Gospels One Story, just send us a text to o four triple eight eight oh eight eleven, and the code one more time is S A. One one two. Let's come to some music by Chris Rice, um, a beautiful song. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry. Everything to God in prayer Oh, what peace we often forfeit Oh, what needless pain we bear All because we do not carry Everything to God in prayer Every trials and temptations Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged Take it to the Lord in prayer Can we find a friend so faithful Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness Take it to the Lord in prayer Are we weak and heavy laden Cumbered with a load of care Precious Savior still our refuge Take it to the Lord in prayer Do you 
friends despise forsake you take you to the Lord in prayer in his arms he'll take and shield you you will find a solace there what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer everything to God in prayer everything to God in Yeah, that was Chris Rice with What a Friend We Have in Jesus. What an incredible song that is. It's it's one that I often reflect on and and, and find so much encouragement. Hey, so we're back, and uh, Gary, we're looking forward to diving into this topic now. Did Jesus really exist? You've got uh, you've got some paper in front of you. you. You look like you're ready to go and share some some uh, some very important information on this subject. Yeah, look, uh, look, uh, Marty, this is one of those really big subjects. In fact, there's probably no more sub, su- no more important subject than this particular one, uh, this issue of Jesus. Did he really exist? You know, if he didn't exist, then we must, uh, you know, we must all back up and go and go home. You know, if you think about it, uh, uh, Jesus is probably one of the biggest influences going you know everyone you know influencing as the latest uh, online online trend but Jesus has got um, well notionally about 2.3 billion followers worldwide now of course you know I mean one might debate that uh, that particular figure but I mean uh, you know I mean that at least they're claiming to follow they're Christ claiming I mean this is a that's a huge number of people uh, uh, you know um, we we actually date our calendars you know this is uh, 2023 this year why do we come up with 2023 well it's that's you know 2023 since the um, since the birth of Jesus Christ you know mm-hmm. uh, you know you, you think about our public holidays every you know um, currently I think we get here in Australia I think we get eight public holidays a year three of them are connected to the either the birth uh, or the death of of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I sort of look at that and I say, hey, you know, I mean, he still does have a huge influence uh, mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. our, uh, on our society, uh, to this, uh, you know, to this very day. But of course, the question has to be asked, you know, is Jesus the, uh, was Jesus real or is he the ultimate fake? You know, if that question, we have to address that issue. And some of the things that, I mean, you look at some of the things that uh, we actually uh, find recorded about Jesus. And, uh, uh, you know, there's actually a lot of uh, non-Christian commentators that mock these aspects of the uh of the of the Christian scriptures, and I'm I'm thinking of the things that Jesus is recorded as having done. Now, you know, I actually just just opened my Bible up when I, I wanted these, and you know, I happened to come to Matthew chapter chapter eight, and uh, I just started to flow through some of the things that are recorded about about Christ. And just let me just read a few things that uh, here, and, and let me give you feedback. Uh, this is uh, a Matthew chapter eight, and it's verse one down to four. Uh, and when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him, and behold. 
behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, look, this this is only a simple story, but here we find Jesus, according to the Scriptures, cleansing, healing a person who was leprous. Now, this is this is an absolutely remarkable story because, you know, I mean, we've got a person, you know, in Jesus' day, healing, supernatural healings by the word of anybody of a leper was virtually unknown. Yes, there are some examples of it in the Old Testament prophets, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. certainly normally this is this is totally out there. And, and I mean, to me, the thing that I love about this story is the way that Jesus actually healed this leper, what what's so significant about the way this he- leper was healed? I think it's it's significant because the leper, you know, he he comes to Christ, and nobody else is going to go near him, um, and and probably in that time as well, it's significant because leprosy was basically seen as a type of sin. It was seen as a type of judgment from God. It, almost a curse that's been placed on you for doing the wrong thing. Yep. And to think that someone who was so godly would actually heal you um, seems strange because certainly the religious leaders of that time, Gary, they, they weren't interested in, in these people being that's, healed. That's they, exactly. they, they just said, you've got to go off. You can't associate with your family. You've got to leave. Um, it was... And yet Jesus, Horrible. You, you find that the leper comes to Jesus and Jesus reaches out his hand, he touches the leper. And of course, the one thing that you're not allowed to do is to touch a leper because if you do that, you become unclean. But Jesus, instead of just healing this one, uh, this leper by uh, uh, by speaking, touches. as he could have, yeah. he physically touches him and physically touches it. And in the touch of Jesus, they both become clean. You know, I yeah. love that particular story. But the yeah. thing that stands out to me as most uh, remarkable is that Jesus is recorded as healing the sick, the infirm. You know, if I go to um, uh, just uh, no, just just jump down to verse fourteen, by the way, um, and uh, this uh, all this healing just continues in this chapter. And it's um, uh, now when and I just say I mean, share this as just a little bit of a sideline. And when Jesus had come to Peter's house, he saw um, Peter's mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand with a f- and the fever left her. Jesus heals. Peter's mother-in-law. Now, what does this tell you about Peter? Peter's a good friend of Jesus, and uh, he would have been very appreciative. And he is would it, have been that, very that, appreciative true, of true. Jesus. But he's got a mother-in-law. What oh, he's mean? married. Yeah, he's, he's a married, married man. He's a married... Sorry, yeah. Gary. I, I, was, uh, I was flicking to that text myself. I didn't quite catch I know, your emphasis I know, there. I know. He... Peter has, according to uh, Matthew 8 and uh, and verse 14, Peter has a mother-in-law. That means, you know, there are uh, entire sections of the Christian world today that uh, uh, talk about, you know, I mean, uh, uh, celibacy and marriage. And yet here, uh, Peter... Uh, <laughs> Peter was clearly married, Peter wasn't he? Peter was clearly married, you know. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, Absolutely. I, I, I love that. But look, I, I'm not trying to sort of... I just want to move on very quickly from that one. But look, let's go to the same chapter, uh, Matthew 
8, and this is verse uh, verse 23. Uh, and when he got into the boat, this is Jesus, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep, and the disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful? Ah, oh, you of little faith. And he arose and rebuked the wind and the seas, and there was a great calm. Uh, so the men marveled, saying, Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Yeah, you know? yeah, amazing. Diseases are healed, yeah. but here we've got this account of uh, Jesus um, rebuking the wind and the waves, a storm, and it, the whole thing's settling. Mm, How mm, do you react mm, to that? Mm, mm, mm. Well, it's it makes you consider... Yeah, exactly that question. Who is this man? How can he, he has, he has authority over sickness. He has authority over, over the demons. We see many stories, Gary, of Jesus casting out demons. He's even got authority over nature itself. This, there is no one else like Jesus according to the scriptures. That, that's right. And, and, but the question has to come up, you know, are these stories real? I mean, today... Did they really happen? Yeah. Today, in our naturalistic um, uh, mindset, when, of course, science is based on naturalism, or th- all things continue according to the laws of uh, nature today, that's the assumption behind uh, the scientific uh, method. Uh, what Christ is doing here is breaking the scientific method. He's, he's turning around and he's saying, hey, there is a dimension to life that you know nothing about now is this something that uh, you know did jesus exist did they you know could did these stories really happen did they really happen i mean there are lots of people who you know i mean we tell our uh, children the story of uh, of santa claus or some people uh, tell the story of santa claus uh but uh normally by the time they're young the young children are going to school normally they've woken up to the fact that you know this is one jolly big uh, fable that this isn't meant to be taken literally and uh, we need to move on from this uh, uh, from this little story. You know, Gary, I, I really appreciate you bringing this up because obviously, if if Jesus is not a historical figure, then for me that totally undermines these stories completely. I know there is a there are some Christians and theologians who have who have questioned this exact thing. They've said, "Look, the stories probably didn't happen." But the the important part is that uh, the lessons behind them. But I just don't buy into that one one little bit because if the story didn't happen, and you've got this book with all these high moral claims, but the book is actually uh, a, a bunch of fables, then for me that just that just discredits the whole thing. Uh, that's exactly right. Look, I, I I've got entire books, and I guess I I do actually try to do a little bit of uh, a little bit of reading, and uh, I, I don't just read uh, material that's uh, written by you know my own church. I try to actually uh, pick up material that uh, is written by uh, by others, and uh, you know I I am staggered the way that uh, contemporary theologians are prepared to undermine so much of the super natural elements of Christianity. Mm. This is, uh, to me, um, just just displays uh, incredible. Um, well, I was going to say ignorance, but uh, you know, I, I, that, that's probably the the 
best word that you could use, you know, because it's it's much more sinister than that, really, isn't it? It is. It is. It is. And look, the more you get into the New Testament, the more you actually realise that, uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, if I go to uh, Matthew uh, chapter chapter nine, you find here that Jesus claims uh, something something else. As verse one to seven, he got into the boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Then behold, they brought him a paralytic lying on the bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "Son, be of good sin; your sins be forgiven you." Now, uh, you know, to me, uh, the Jews knew what was actually happening here because they understood that there was only one who only could forgive sins. That was only God. Only God could forgive Jesus is claiming to be able to forgive sins. And at once, some of the scribes and Pharisees said within themselves, this man is blaspheming. Well, why are they saying this man is blaspheming? Well, because they knew that what Jesus was doing is taking on himself the prerogatives of uh, of God. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, uh, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And he did exactly as he was told. Uh, You know, here we've got Jesus claiming to be able to forgive sins. Now, you know, one of the things that I'm really conscious of is that, you know, I can come to to Christ uh, and ask for forgiveness of my sins. And on the authority of Scripture, I believe he will forgive me uh, for the sins that I have committed. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. But, you know, the one thing I have no power to do is to forgive your sins. That's right. You know, I can can direct you to the Saviour who you are able to, to yes. request to yes. forgive your sins, but the yes. one thing that I cannot do is forgive your sins. Because only God can do that. Only God can do only that. Only God can do that. And Christ, obviously, is the Son of God. He is able to do this. And yet, you know, this is interesting, Gary, because um, it was f- for, for reasons such as this that the religious leaders became so enraged with Jesus that they put him on a cross. That's it. That's they exactly. put him on a cross. Yeah. And it's interesting talking about this subject, you know, did this really happen? Yeah. I mean, even in the non-biblical sources, there's strong evidence that Jesus did in fact die on a cross. Uh, look, and we're going to come to that because this is the really significant, uh, significant issue. But, you know, to me, it's important for us to realize exactly what Jesus is doing and saying, right? Uh, you know, he is, uh, you know, he's doing and saying things that are, well, a normal, uh, a regular uh, man, a regular preacher, simply cannot do and cannot say. He's Absolutely. doing. He's doing something. Total- most, most anyone who would say the th- kinds of things that Jesus said about himself would uh, probably, um, yeah, they'd probably get put away somewhere. Well, that's uh, that's exactly right. That's and we're going to come to that in a moment because it's it's really interesting. Uh, there's a uh, a Christian a Christian author C. S. Lewis who actually made a very similar, and we're going to look at that statement in okay. just a moment because yeah, I right. think it's really really key that one. Um, and uh, you get this story in uh, Matthew chapter fourteen, feeding the five thousand. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by a boat to a deserted place by himself, and the multitudes heard it. They followed him on foot, and when Jesus went out, he saw the great multitude, and he was moved. 
moved with compassion for them and he healed their sick. Uh, when it was evening, the disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place. The hour is already late. Already late. Send them away that they might go to the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus says to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And then, of course, he does this miracle. He feeds 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. Now, look, you know, even I know you can't feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two little uh, two fish that you can actually fit into a child's lunchbox. That doesn't work. It doesn't divide. But Jesus did it. Jesus does it. That's I right. Mean, these are miracles. These this are miracles. This is the supernatural that's the, taking place. Are these real? And it's not for Christ's own benefit either, Gary. I think that's interesting. You know, Jesus doesn't just perform miracles for the sake of performing miracles. He always does it to try and bring people into relationship with God and to put their trust in God and to prove his unique uh, messianic identity, that he is truly the son of God. Yeah. And his disciples had no question in mind. Um, they, they knew that he was he was the Messiah. That's why they would later give their lives. They would die for Jesus. You, would, you wouldn't die for something that never, ever existed. And look, that's one of the, one frequently used as one of the great evidences for the existence of Christ. Do you know what you get is this story where Christ is doing remarkable things. Then Jesus is crucified on the cross. That's mm. the story mm. of, uh, of Easter, uh, out there. Uh, Christ, uh, dies on the cross. He's resurrected. When he dies on the cross, what is, what are his disciples actually doing? At that point in time, you know, that, boy, Gary, you know, like many of us, you know, when, when things don't go the way we expect, we become discouraged. We become they, disappointed. They went in hiding. They were out and out cowards. You know, what they're doing is they're hiding in an upper well, room where nobody knows that they are. Their, where hope, they are. their hopes died with Jesus. Their hopes died with Jesus. You know, here's, you know, and that was so often. The Romans knew this. You kill the leader of a movement that's rising up, and what happens? Well, all the followers will disperse, and, mm-hmm. you know, end, mm-hmm. of, end of story. So the disciples turn around, and, you know, they're in hiding. But the next day, something takes place mm. that turns the whole box and dice on its head. Mm. You know, this is something mm. that, you know, is so powerful that uh, for the remainder yeah. of their life, these disciples are prepared to write the things which they've seen and heard and touched and absolutely. taste. Uh, absolutely, they're prepared to. They're prepared to go to their deaths, and some of their deaths. I mean, Peter is crucified upside down, if mm-hmm. you please. I mean, mm-hmm. what a way to die! Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's mm-hmm. only one disciple that actually died a natural death, and that was John, uh, and he was boiled in oil mm-hmm. for his trouble anyway, mm-hmm. but didn't mm-hmm. die. You yeah. know, you sort of look at this and you say, God hey, needed him to write. The Book of Revelation. <laughs> His time wasn't up. Oh wow! I mean, this is this is remarkable. Yeah, that kind of devotion doesn't just come from a myth or or from the figment of someone's imagination. This yeah. is this is real. As you're sharing, even those stories of Jesus feeding the five thousand, performing miracles, healing people. You know, my heart's just burning within me, Gary, because these are the stories that speak to my soul. These are the stories that countless times as I've read the scriptures, they've given me hope. They've given me encouragement. They've reminded me that uh, that there is a God who cares and has the power to make a difference in my yeah, life. Yeah. And look, what I'd like to do is, uh, we'll probably, we probably need to go to a break, but I, I'm really conscious that after the break, what I'd like to do is just to give you some 
extra biblical, non-biblical evidence for the existence of Jesus because so many people say, hey, you know, these gospels, this is in-house stuff. Well, we're going to go outside of the, uh, uh, the gospels and just see what, uh, what the historians actually say. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, Gary, because that sounds like it's going to just, uh, really give us a robust evidence for our faith. Now, for our listeners, again, we do have a free giveaway today. The book is called Savior for Gospels, One Story by Jack Blanco. This is a bigger book. This is a more, very quite a valuable resource, this one. And it paints the beautiful picture of the story of Jesus. If you're someone who's listening today, you just want to get to know Jesus better. You want to, maybe you've tried reading the Bible. I would encourage you always to read the Bible. Perhaps this book is something that makes the story of Jesus really come alive in more sort of modern language. And um, if that's a book that you'd like to get, we're giving away this book for free. And um, all you've got to do is text us the code SA112, and you're going to text that code SA112 to 04888808811. Once again, if you want that free book, Saviour, Four Gospels, One Story, send us a text, SA112 to 488 We're going to come to some music now. We're going to listen to a beautiful song, Because He Lives. I hope you enjoy. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives. Fear is gone Because I know He holds a future And life is worth the living Just because He lives God send His Son
Life is worth living just because he lives. Because he lives, one of my favorite songs, an absolutely powerful song. You know, I remember one time, Gary, in church, we were singing this song. And we had a young couple who has come that they'd only just started coming to church. Yeah. And uh, no, no church background whatsoever. And as the congregation was singing this song, they were singing with all their hearts. It was one of the most powerful worship experiences that, are, that, mm. that, that, we, that we had. And um, after the service, I remember them coming and talking to me and, and, and this young man, no, no church background, you know, just so new. And he just said to me, Marty, as you guys were singing that song, it just dawned on me what this is all about, why this mm. is so significant, mm. Mm. that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is real. Yeah, and um, it, you know, I, I could tell that that uh, that that song really touched his heart, and I hope and pray that it's touched someone's heart today who's been yeah. listening yeah. online. We're going to be diving into some really interesting material now, Gary. You're going to be talking to us about some uh, historical. Extra biblical sources that refer to Jesus. Yeah, Marty. Look, as some people don't actually realise that in within the Gospels themselves, uh, there are significant documents there. Uh, but you know, if I go outside of the New Testament, the thing that I appreciate uh, is the fact that there are uh, non-biblical authors who talked about Christ. Now, mm-hmm. look, you know, probably one of the uh, one of the best is uh, a fellow called uh, Cornelius Tacitus. And now, now this particular guy. He's, he's an interesting fellow. He was born somewhere around 55, 56, um, uh, years, uh, 55, 56 AD, uh, and he died somewhere around 118. So he was a contemporary with uh, certainly the first generation of, uh, of disciples. Uh, he was a Roman senator. He's an orator, and he's arguably the, the very best of the, uh, Roman her- um, uh, the Roman historians. Now, the significant thing about him is that he absolutely despised Christians. He didn't like them one one little bit. Now, you know, to me, I think it's important sometimes when I, I listen to people who uh, don't like what it is that I'm saying because uh, the truth or error of what I'm actually saying can actually be judged by them. Remember, uh, one of the easiest offences by that first generation would simply have been, hey, uh, this guy never existed. What a, what a defence that would be. And yet, you know, one of the most remarkable things is that within the uh, the first two, three, four generation, that defence is never used. Uh, and we're going to come to that in, in, in just a moment. But this is what uh, Cornelius Tacitus said. Neither hum- oh, sorry, he's writing uh, at the at the time of the uh, Nero's destruction of uh, of Rome, and uh, uh, Ro- uh, um, Nero is wanting to move the blame for the fire of Rome across to the Christians. And uh, this is what uh, Tacitus uh, said. Neither human effort nor the emperor's generosity nor the placating of the gods ended the scandalous belief that the fire, the great fire of Rome, had been ordered by Nero. Therefore, to put down the rumour, Nero substituted as culprits and punished in the most unusual ways those hated for their shameful acts, whom the crowd called Christians. Uh, The founder of this name, Christ, Christus in Latin, had been executed in the reign of Tiberius by the procurator Pontius Pilate. 
suppressed for a time, the deadly superstition erupted again, not only in Judea, the origin of this evil, but also in the city of Rome, where all things horrible and shameful from everywhere come together and become popular. Uh, now, look, uh, to me, Marty, the thing that really He's jumps, a good writer, isn't he, Tazidus? Oh, he, he's a good re- writer, is this man, but he hates Christians. He doesn't like them yeah. one little bit. But to me, the thing that jumps out at me is what he's saying here is that, uh, number one, did he believe Christ existed? He most certainly did. Mm-hmm. He certainly did. He, there was no argument mm-hmm. here saying, hey, Christ didn't exist. It re- reveals that Tacitus accepted that Christ existed uh, and significantly that a movement connected with Christ did also arise. Absolutely, and that it was spreading, much to his shock and horror and uh, frustration. Exactly, exactly. And and this is, uh, to me, as I look at that, I turn around and say, hey, this is uh, this is powerful evidence uh, for the existence of Jesus Christ, because it's mm. someone who doesn't like Christ, doesn't like Christians, who's actually commenting on the reality of the existence of, of Jesus Christ. Mm. Do you know, mm. uh, a lot of people might be aware of the uh, Roman historian uh, Josephus. Now, uh, this is what uh, Josephus says. Now, of course, uh, in this particular quote, there's one or two things which are actually debated by the uh, by the historians as to whether it's authentic, and I'll, I'll point that out to you in a moment, uh, but uh, this is what uh, what it says. Now, there was about that time Jesus, a wise man, and Joseph, uh, uh, Josephus didn't like Christians, uh, Christians either, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received truth with pleasure. He drew over to himself many Jews and also many of the Greeks. This man was the Christ. And that's the part that's actually debated by many people. Some think that that is actually a later edition uh, because uh, uh, we're not we're not certain that Josephus would actually have called uh, Jesus the, the Christ. And when a pilot had condemned him to the cross upon impeachment by the principal men amongst us, those who loved him from the first didn't forsake him for he appeared to them alive on the third day. Uh, the divine prophets having spoken of these and thousands of other wonderful things about him. And even now the race of Christians so named from him has not died out. Historian Josephus. Mm, mm, uh, very powerful statement, isn't it? That Jesus definitely existed, that Jesus was a worker of many wonderful miracles. It seems to, uh, you know, to align very closely with the biblical record. It does, it does. That's, and that's the thing that stands out. You know, I just can't emphasize enough. You know, when people who don't like me, uh, support the, because people often write history according to the way that they view history. Now, okay, these guys are certainly writing against Christ, but the point is the essential facts are exactly the same mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. what we would uh, what we would expect. Now, uh, one of the one of the uh, articles that did, did actually impress me when I first saw it was actually an article uh, written, and this comes from scholarship. This is uh, the article: Did Jesus exist? Searching for evidence beyond the Bible, and this comes from the Biblical Archaeology Review. We know it as BAR, uh, Biblical Archaeological Review. This is the uh, journal of uh, uh, of Biblical archaeologist. It's a peer-reviewed uh, journal. This is January, February 2015, and this is what uh, uh, what they say. Uh, and they were talking about this. Uh, uh, did Jesus exist? As far as we know, no ancient person has ever uh, seriously argued that Jesus did not exist. To the first several centuries. 
of our era, even as scholar, as cautious and as thorough as uh, uh, Robert Van Horst uh, freely observes, no pagans or Jews who opposed Christianity denied Jesus' historicity or even questioned it. Non-denial of Jesus' existence is particularly notable in the rabbinic writings of those first several centuries. Mm. If anyone in the ancient world had a reason to dislike the Christian faith, it was the rabbis. To argue successfully that Jesus never existed but was a creation of early Christians would have been the most effective polemic against Christianity. Yet all the Jewish sources treated Jesus as a fully historical person. The rabbis used the real events of Jesus' life against him. Thus, his birth, ministry and death occasioned claims that his birth was illegitimate, that he performed miracles by evil magic, that he encouraged apostasy, that he was justly executed for his own sins, but they do not deny his existence. Yeah, it's a powerful point, Gary, and as we wrap up for today, you know, perhaps there's someone who is just realising that the reality of Jesus is is unquestionable it is totally sure it's 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 the one thing perhaps it's one of the one things gary in this world of constant change and uncertainty that we can be certain of that jesus did come that jesus died for our sins that he's that he yeah. rose again yeah. that he's coming back again soon and friends if you're interested in knowing this jesus as as your personal savior can i recommend to you this book savior four gospels one story it's a free giveaway that we're doing today if you want to get this free book please send us a text sa112 and send that code sa112 to oh four triple eight eight oh eight eleven. We're about to sign off. Please send us a text if you would like to receive the free copy of that book. Um, I want to leave you with these words today. Words from the Bible. God says to us, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. May God bless you as you walk in the plan that he has for your life. Thank you. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio.